verse number 29, the end of Surah Al-Fatih. In Surah Al-Fatih, we learned the background of the Surah, when the Surah was revealed, when the Prophet ﷺ was on his return from Hudaybiyah back to Medina. 1400 companions had left with the Prophet ﷺ in order to perform Umrah. No Umrah was performed. Instead, a treaty was signed and the Muslims returned, not empty-handed, but with reward from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This experience was very difficult. It was long, it was exhausting, it was emotionally very distressing. However, what we see in the surah is that the best strengths of the sahaba were also revealed. It showed how much they loved Islam, how much they loved the Prophet ﷺ, and how strong they were in their love for one another. Allah says, Muhammadun, Muhammad ﷺ. He is Rasulullah. He is the Messenger of Allah. And this incident of Hudaybiyah, it proves it. Because no human being could plan this on his own. No human being could have made this plan. That we'll go for minor pilgrimage, we'll come back with the treaty, and the treaty will bring this and this and this benefit. No, it could not have been possible. All of this could not have been possible by just human planning. No, this incident proved that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam was truly a messenger of Allah. وَالَّذِينَ مَعَهُ And those who are with him, meaning the companions, the sahaba, how are they? Allah praises them. He says they are ashidda'u ala al-kuffar. Ashidda'u. Ones who are forceful. Ala al-kuffar against the deniers. Ashidda, plural of the word, shadid. And who is shadid? One who is tough, severe, strong, and firm. Meaning he's not weak, rather he is strong. He's tough, he's firm. It doesn't mean harsh necessarily. It doesn't mean rude. It just means firm and strong and confident. So they are ashidda'u ala al-kuffar. Kuffar, plural of kafir. And this incident, it proved it. Look at how Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu was so firm with Urwa. That when Urwa mocked at the companions of the Prophet ﷺ, Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu did not tolerate it. He responded to him in a very forceful way. In such a way that Urwa was left speechless. Then we see that Urwa, as he's touching the beard of the Prophet ﷺ, what did the companions do? One of the companions, what did he do? He struck his hand off. That don't touch my Prophet like that. Right? Tough and firm and strong against the deniers. Meaning, they don't become weak. They don't become apologetic when they're facing those who deny them, who reject them. No, they're firm and confident and strong. They're not intimidated by the enemy. Ones who are merciful and compassionate between themselves. Ruhama, plural of the word, Rahim. And who is Rahim? A person who shows mercy. A person who's compassionate and kind towards another. So the companions were compassionate to each other. How? This incident also proved it. Look at the compassion of the companions when they saw Abu Jandal radiallahu anhu. Right? That how they were willing to let go of the treaty 
in order to save the life of one Abu Jandal radiallahu anhu. Look at how upset they were at the thought that the mushrikeen may have assassinated Uthman radiallahu anhu. Isn't it? What was it? It was their compassion and love for Uthman radiallahu anhu that led them to take that oath, to give that pledge of allegiance to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Ruhama'u baynahum, merciful, compassionate amongst themselves. Tarahum, you see them. Rukka'an, as ones who are doing rukur, ones who are bowing down. Sujjadan, as ones who are doing sajda, ones who are prostrating. Rukka'an, plural of rakir, and sujjadan, plural of sajid. You can see them. Meaning the Sahaba would be seen performing rukur and performing sujood. When is it that you see somebody doing something that is supposed to be very private? I mean, prayer is something that's meant to be very private. But seeing them performing prayer, what does it mean? That they don't just limit it to a certain time and place. You see somebody doing something, meaning they do it all the time, no matter where they are, no matter where they go. تَرَاهُمْ رُكَّعًا سُجَّدًا You see them busy in prayer. They are humble before their Lord, begging Him for His aid, striving for His pleasure. يَبْتَغُونَ They seek فَضْلًا مِّنَ اللَّهِ Bounty from Allah, meaning His reward. وَرِضْوَانًا And His ultimate pleasure. This is their concern. Seeking Allah's fadl and His ridwan. This is what what drives them, what pushes them to keep going and never stop. This is what motivates them to spend their time in rukur and in sujood, seeking Allah's favor, seeking His approval. Allah says, Simahum, their mark. Sima, from the root letters, wow, seen, meme, wasam. Wasama is to brand something, to put a mark on something. And Sima, their mark, visible mark, as in distinguishing feature. Allah says, their distinguishing feature, meaning a mark by which you would recognize these men, is what? Where is this sign, the distinguishing feature? It is fi wujuhihim. It is in their faces. You would recognize them to be the companions of the Prophet ﷺ. How? Just by looking at their faces. What is that distinguishing feature? What is that sima by which you would recognize them? It is on their faces, min athar is sujood. Min from athar, effect or trace of a sujood of the prostrations. Meaning, their faces show that they regularly prostrate. Their faces show that they are holy men. That they are devout worshippers. This does not mean that they have a mark on their foreheads that shows that they prostrate a lot. No. It could be. It could be. Meaning this could be a part of the sima. However, it's not limited. The sima, the distinguishing mark, is not limited to the mark on the forehead. Because Sa'id bin Jubayr, he said that the sima here refers to atharu sahr. The effect of spending the night awake. They spend their nights awake. When you see somebody in the morning, and you see that their face is pale basically, right? Why is it pale? 
Is it because they've been, they've been sleeping the whole time? No. You recognize immediately this person did not sleep well. Now some people spend their nights awake doing certain things for pleasure. And then there are some other people who spend their nights worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The sahaba, they would be recognized by the fatigue on their faces. The fatigue, the tiredness, the paleness, the lack of sleep, the humility, the effect of worship was visible on their faces. سِيْمَاهُمْ فِي وُجُوهِهِمْ مِنْ أَثَرِ السُّجُودِ Allah says, ذَلِكَ That is, what is? The description that is mentioned over here, that they spend their time prostrating and worshipping Allah, seeking His pleasure, so much so that you could see the effect of that on their faces. Their faces don't reflect a person who has been indulging in their desires, fulfilling their passions, no. Their faces show that this person is a hard-working individual, busy, striving for Allah's sake, striving for His approval. So that is مَثَلُهُمْ Their description, فِي Torah In the Torah. In the Torah, this is how they are described. وَمَثَلُهُمْ And their description, فِي الْإِنْجِيلِ In the Gospel. Torah, the book that was given to Musa alayhi salam. And Injil, the book that was given to Isa alayhi salam. So their example in the Injil, and this shows us that the Sahaba were described in the Torah and in the Injil. Their example in the Injil is kazar'in, is like a zarr. What is zarr? Zarr is a plant, a crop that is planted. What kind of a plant that is planted, meaning a seed that is planted, and akhraja, it produces. Shat'ahu, its offshoot. Shat' from the root letters sheen, ta, hamza. Shat' is basically what emerges from the grain first. Meaning a seed when it sprouts, the first thing that you see coming out, that is shat', the shoot, or the sprout, that is shat'. So like a zarr that was planted, and when it was planted, what happens? It produced its shoot, its offshoot. But then it doesn't stop there. What happens? فَأَزَرَهُ Then it strengthens it. أَزَرَ Hamza زَاي رَا Remember, أُشْدُدْ بِهِ أَزْرِي Musa a.s. made dua that through my brother, أُشْدُدْ بِهِ أَزْرِي Strengthen my ability, أَزْر right? Meaning, give me strength through him. So, azara meaning strengthens it. Meaning as, as the sprout, it grows. What happens? At the beginning, yes, it's very feeble, it's very weak. But gradually, with time, as it grows taller, it also becomes stronger. Isn't it? I mean, the first shoot, how is it? It's so soft, so delicate. You could almost ruin it just by touching it. But then with time, as it grows taller, it also becomes stronger. Azarahu. Then fastaglava. Then it becomes thick. Istaglava. Gain lam la. Istaglava. Gain lam la. What does that mean? When something becomes thick. Meaning, the plant grows firm. It becomes thicker, as in the stem, the trunk. Whatever it is, it becomes stronger and firmer. 
and then it grows leaves, it has so many branches. Fastahlawa. So much so that fastawa, it becomes straight. Ala suqihi upon its suq, upon its leg. Suq over here means the stem or the trunk. Alright, saq from the same root, saq is used for leg. So the leg of the plant is its trunk or the stem. So fastawa ala suqi, fastawa. What does it mean? When something becomes balanced, even. It straightens up. In other words, it's able to stand on its own. It can stand on its own. It's not easily broken. It's not easily, you know, walked over. No, it can stand on its own. Fastawa ala suqi. And when a plant grows big and strong and it can stand on its own, then what happens to those people who planted it? يُعْجِبُ الزُّرَّاعَ يُعْجِبُ It amazes, it pleases from عجب عجب عين جيمبا It's to find something amazing, surprising, but remember, it is of two types. One is to find something strange and then reject it. And the other is to find something strange, as in, be amazed, be happy, be surprised about it. So يُعْجِبُ It amazes, it pleases الزُّرَّاعَ the sowers. Zurrah, plural of the word zarir. Who is zarir? The person who plants a seed, who grows the crop, who puts the seeds. Yurjibu zurrah. The zurrah are amazed when they see the grown, the fully grown plant. That this is what it has grown into? It started with a seed and now it's a huge tree. Yurjibu zurrah. But the same thing, لِيَغِيظَ So he causes anger, he enrages, be him through them, them, as in the plant, the crop. Who gets enraged by the crop? الْكُفَّارَ The disbelievers, the deniers. It's obvious, the crop over here, in this example, in this parable, is referring to who? The companions. And who is the cultivator, the farmer? It is the Prophet wasallam. Think about Makkah. How many people were there who embraced Islam? Just a few. How weak they were. How few there were. But what happened? As they migrated to Medina, how their numbers grew. Their strength increased. And now, when they had come to perform Umrah, did that anger the Makkans? It certainly did. Because these were the people whom they had exiled from Makkah, whom they had persecuted to such an extent that these people had to run away from the city of Makkah, from the most holy land. Some had to run to Abyssinia, others had to go to Medina. And now, 1400 of them are coming to Makkah to perform Umrah. It angered the mushrikeen so much. And it was this anger that made them stop Muslims from coming into Makkah. That did not allow them to let Muslims come and perform Umrah. Allah says, وَعَدَ اللَّهُ Allah has promised, الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا Those who believe, وَعَمِلُوا الصَّالِحَاتِ And those who do righteous deeds, مِنْ whom from them, meaning from the people who believed in the Prophet wasallam, Allah has promised them, مَغْفِرَةً Forgiveness, وَأَجْرًا عَظِيمًا And a great reward. This is what Allah has promised them. What you see in the world, the success that Allah has given them, is just the beginning. There is more to come in the hereafter. What do we see in this ayah? 
the qualities of the Sahaba are mentioned. They are praised over here. And at the same time, the Prophet ﷺ is also praised. With regards to the Prophet ﷺ, he is mentioned as who? The Messenger of Allah and the Zariyah, the one who plants the seed. With respect to the companions, how are they described? First of all, their dealings with people are mentioned. With people, how are they? Those who deserve firm treatment, they are firm with them. أَشِدَّاءُ عَلَى الْكُفَّارِ And those who deserve compassion, then they are compassionate with them. رُحَمَاءُ بَيْنَهُمْ رُحَمَاءُ بَيْنَهُمْ What does that show? That they love and support each other. This is how the companions were. Their love and their support for one another was very strong. And the incident of Hudaybiyah proves it very beautifully. Look at how they all came together, giving the pledge of allegiance to the Prophet ﷺ to fight in retaliation for whose blood? Uthman radiallahu anhu. And remember the circumstances, it wasn't easy. They weren't equipped for battle. They were exhausted from the journey. But why were they angry? Why were they ready to fight? In whose defense? In retaliation for whose blood? Whose life? Of their brother. It was compassion and love for Uthman radiallahu anhu. That led them to despair. I think we should ask ourselves, would people pledge, like something, pledge their lives basically, if it came to our safety and if we were, you know, harmed in any way or possibly harmed? That here we need to think about ourselves that do I love the believers? Do I value their lives and their honor? Does it bother me when a believer is hurt somewhere, persecuted somewhere? Or do I think, well, it's their problem. At least it wasn't me. I'm okay because I'm in Canada. I'm okay because I am like this or I am like that. No, believers are ruhama'u baynahum, compassionate towards each other. They feel for each other. So if a Muslim is hurt, his rights are infringed upon. It bothers the other Muslims. I mean, if you think about it, the Sahaba who had come from Medina to perform Umrah were going back with the treaty and that allowed them to return the following year and perform Umrah. They could have been selfish over here, but they were willing to let go of that in order to save Abu Jandal radiallahu anhu. They were willing to let go of that in order to save the lives of the Muslims who were being persecuted. They weren't selfish. They weren't concerned about just their own benefits. They were concerned about the entire ummah. They were concerned about the entire community. The Prophet ﷺ said that the example of the believers in regard to mutual love, affection, is that of one body. When one limb aches, the entire body aches. The entire body feels it. When one part of the body is hurting, then the entire body, what happens to it? It begins to suffer with fever. Isn't it? The infection is where? Perhaps just in the eye or the ear. But the fever is experienced by what? Just the eye or the ear? The entire body. Isn't that amazing? This is the example of the believers. So the Sahaba, they lived this. رُحَمَاءُ بَيْنَهُمْ Then we see, they are described in their relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. How are they? 
تراهم ركعاً سجداً يبتغون فضلاً من الله ورضوانه They're humble worshippers seeking Allah's approval. So much so that you could see it on their faces. So in essence, how were the Sahaba? We see that once somebody asked an individual that did the companions ever laugh? Did they ever laugh? And he said that yes, they did. And he went on describing them. And he said, فَإِذَا كَانَ اللَّيْلِ كَانُوا رُهْبَانًا Yes, they lived normal lives during the day. But when it was nighttime, they were like ascetics. They were like hermits. People who seclude themselves from the community and they just busy themselves in the worship of Allah. Now what happens is that if we worship Allah by night, then what happens to our days? We must take the day off. Because we were awake for an hour or two or three. Therefore, I have to write my day off. Were the companions like that? No. تَرَاهُمْ رُكَّعًا سُجَّدًا يَبْتَغُونَ فَضْلًا مِّنَ اللَّهِ وَرِضْوَانًا So much so that their faces showed the fatigue. But that didn't make them lazy by day. That didn't make them sleep all day long. No. You know the Sahaba, they're described as فُرْسَانًا بِالنَّهَارِ رُهْبَانًا بِالْلَيْلِ They were soldiers, horsemen during the day, active, actively striving in the way of Allah. And by night, they were ruhban, they were rahibs. Rahib, remember, ascetic, someone who was busy worshipping Allah. Their days were spent in productive work, and their nights were spent in seeking out the pleasure of Allah, in worshipping Allah. Allah says in the Qur'an, قَلِيلًا مِنَ اللَّيْلِ مَا يَهْجَعُونَ They used to sleep very little in the night. The Prophet ﷺ said that the best prayer after the five daily prayers is which one? It is the night prayer. In hadith we also learn that the honor of a believer, the real honor of a believer, sharaful mu'min, is in what? In qiyamul layl, in praying in the night. One of the first things the Prophet ﷺ taught when he came to Medina was what? That pray in the night when people are sleeping. Amongst other things, he also said that pray in the night when people are sleeping and you shall enter Jannah with peace and security. Praying in the night, this is the way of the righteous. Praying in the night is the means of drawing closer to Allah. It is the means of earning forgiveness. And remember the hadith in which we learn that may Allah have mercy upon the man who wakes up in the night in order to pray, and then he wakes his wife up also. But if she finds it difficult, then he sprinkles water on her face, that wake up and pray. And then she does the same, that she gets up in the night to perform the prayer, but if he's sleeping, her husband is sleeping, she wakes him up, he's finding it difficult, she sprinkles water on his face, helping each other to wake up in the night in order to worship Allah. So if Allah has given us the opportunity to worship Him in the night, then we should feel privileged. We should feel honored because Allah praises the Sahaba for this. تَرَاهُمْ رُكَّعًا سُجَّدًا So much so that the effect is visible on their faces by day. And life doesn't stop just because they're worshipping Allah at night. No, life goes on. Our problem is that we have limited the night prayer to just the month of Ramadan. So when the month of Ramadan comes, we want our nights to be spent awake and our days, how? Sleeping. No work, no school, nothing at all. 
This is our problem. The Sahaba worshipped Allah with consistency. Qiyamul Layl was not just reserved for the month of Ramadan. They did it even when they were traveling. They did it even when they were in battle. You see, why would a person wake up in the night? What makes you wake up in the night? If you think about it, these past few nights perhaps, what is it that forced you to stay awake at night and make dua or read Qur'an or perform salah? What makes you do that? Because you know that these days are few. They're numbered. And these nights are very, very special. Right? They come only once a year. And if you get Laylatul Qadr, then it is better than a thousand months. And if you make dua, then inshallah those duas will be accepted. Isn't it? We value this time. This is why we sacrifice our sleep. But you see, for a believer, what time is valuable? The time that he can spend with his Lord. Just him and his Lord. And that is not limited to the month of Ramadan. That is possible any time during the year. This is why we learned that Fudail bin Iyad, he said that when the sun goes down, I rejoice. When the sun goes down, I am delighted. I like the darkness. At that time, there was no electricity. So when the sun went down, that meant everybody, you know, retires to their own beds. Right? So he said that I am happy. I'm delighted with the darkness because finally I can be alone with my Lord. And when the sun rises, that saddens me because now people are going to come and bother me. They're going to come and interfere. They're not going to let me speak to my Lord. They're not going to let me worship my Lord. This doesn't mean that he despised people. It just shows his perspective on the night and the day. He looked forward to the night because that was the time that he could spend with his Lord. And the companions, this is how they are described over here. Then we see that their description in the Torah is mentioned. How is it that the Sahaba were described in the Torah? That سِمَاهُمْ فِي وُجُوهِهِمْ مِنْ أَثَرِ السُّجُودِ This is their description in the Torah. Do we find it in the Torah today? Something like it. In Deuteronomy 33 verses 2 to 3, we learn that He came with myriads of holy ones from the south. He came with myriads of holy ones, holy men from the south. From his mountain slopes. Or at his right hand there was flashing lightning for them. And this has been translated in many different ways. But what's understood is that flashing lightning, this refers to the law that was given to these holy men. Surely it is you who love the people. All the holy ones are in your hand. At your feet they all bow down. And from you they receive instruction. So how is it that they are described? Holy men, those who bow down. Right? Those who receive instruction from who? From the Lord. From Allah. يَبْتَغُونَ فَضْلًا مِنَ اللَّهِ وَرِضْوَانًا And then their description in the Injil is also mentioned. What is their description in the Injil? Like a seed that is planted by a farmer. And that seed, it grows into a plant. And the gradual development of that plant is mentioned. That how initially it's just one tiny sprout. And then it grows stronger and taller and firmer. Until it can stand on its own. And in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4, verses 26 to 28 
It is mentioned, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters a seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. And this is known as a parable of the growing seed. Hmm? So here, what do we see? That how the Prophet ﷺ, he just planted the seeds. And the Sahaba, what were they like? Like a fully grown plant. You know, it's amazing how within a few years, look at the strength of the companions. How Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blessed the efforts of the Prophet ﷺ. One of the authors, he has described the Sahaba as a nursery of heroes. You know, a nursery, a place where plants are, you go and buy flowers and different things from there. He said that they were like a nursery of heroes. Planted by who? By the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Each one of the companions was a hero in his own right. Look at how each and every companion went out in the way of Allah. And how much he did for the sake of Allah. At the end of Surah Muhammad, a warning was given. And what was that warning? That if you turn away, Allah doesn't need you. Allah will bring another people. It was like a warning. And remember when Surah Muhammad was revealed at the beginning of the Medinan era. Surah Al-Fatih was revealed five to six years after that. What do we see? The companions with time, did they grow stronger or weaker? They became stronger or weaker? Stronger. Did they progress or did they regress? Progress. Right? We need to analyze our lives also. That with each difficulty and hardship that comes my way, am I improving? Am I progressing in some way? Or am I regressing? What's happening to me? We can complain all we want. Well, the past few years have been very difficult. This has happened and that has happened and that has happened. We can come up with a whole lot of excuses. You know, if anyone had excuses, it would have been the companions. Because they were being constantly fought against. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala testifies to their growth and their development and their improvement. That how they were like a seed and now a fully grown crop. It's not our hardships that hold us back. No. Hardships are meant to strengthen us. They're meant to make us grow. Difficulties are meant to take us farther, ahead. They're not meant to bring us failure. The Sahaba grew with their difficulties. And we need to see what's happening to me. What's going on in my life. Let's listen to the recitation of this ayah. Muhammadur Rasulullah Walladheena ma'ahu Ashidda'u ala al-kuffari Ruhama'u baynahum Tarahum rukka'an sujjadan Yabtaguna fadlan min Allahi wa ridwana 
سیماہم فی وجوہم من اثر السجود ذالک مثلهم فی التوراة ومثلهم فی الانجیل كزرع اخرج شطعه فآزره فاستغلظ فاستوى على سوقه يعجب الزراع ليغیظ بهم الكفار وعد الله الذين آمنوا وعملوا الصالحات منهم مغفرة وأجرا عظيما Was life difficult for the Sahaba? Was it difficult? What difficulties did they experience? Think about the first few years in Medina. Tell me some of the hardships that they experienced. I'm asking you, it's not a rhetorical question. Yes. Okay, they were constantly facing battle. What else? Persecution. Okay, what else? They were homesick. Right? Many of them had come from Mecca. What about financially? Were they struggling financially? A lot. Yes? Hunger? Because whatever they made, whatever income they had, it was basically going in what? Warfare. Whatever resources they would have, they were depleting in fighting back the enemy. Right? When you look at the life of the Prophet ﷺ, any emotional distress? A lot. Loss of lives. I mean, the battles of Badr and Uhud, what did that mean? Many loved ones were lost. Isn't it? Many loved ones were lost. So if you think about it, these six years in Medina weren't easy. Not at all. But despite all those difficulties and hardships, what happened to the Sahaba? They improved, they increased, they developed so much. How is it that a person can grow with hardships? How? What do we see in this verse? Firstly, we see that the Sahaba were not selfish people. They were concerned for others. رُحَمَاءُ بَيْنَهُمْ What happens is that when we are sometimes experiencing some difficulty... We are only looking at ourselves. We're only concerned about our problems. Did the Sahaba live like that? No. In fact, they forgot their own problems in taking care of others. Remember the incident where some people were guests of the Prophet ﷺ and he sent word around to his wives asking if anybody had food. Nobody had food. And finally, one companion took them home to host them for the night. Right? He took them home and he found out that there was just enough food for him and his family. So he told his wife that put the children to bed right, and then feed the guests and we'll pretend that we're eating. That's what they did in the night. They were hungry. And Allah mentions that in the Qur'an. وَلَوْ كَانَ بِهِمْ خَصَاصًا They prefer others over themselves even though they themselves are in extreme hunger. They themselves are in need. They will give preference to others. So the first thing we see in the companions, what made them successful despite all their hardships was what? Their concern for others. They weren't selfish. Their eyes were not always upon themselves. They were concerned for others. Another important thing we see over here is how they sought help from Allah. When? In the night. Not just in the day. 
not just in front of people, remember me in your prayers. No, in the night. Because you see, our hardships, our difficulties, they don't allow us to sleep comfortably. Isn't it? So when our sleep is disturbed in the night, what should we do? Complain about that lack of sleep during the day? No. Get up and ask Allah. Get up and ask Him. Worship Him in the night. And we see these two main qualities of the companions being highlighted over here. Concern for others and seeking Allah's ridwan by spending their nights in the worship of Allah. And this is what made them successful. Even though everything seemed to be against them. So if we want success, then we have to follow the example of these people. Concern for others and seeking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's help. Anything you'd like to share? I remember in the Journey of Faith conference, um, Sheikh Muhammad al-Sharif mentioned that he had a theory to test with us. Uh, and he asked the audience member how many of them were Hufas. And so the Hufas, they raised their hands in the air. And then he asked them, how many of um, are one or both, or keep your hands in the air if um, one or both of your parents pray payam? And all of them left their hands in the air. And he said that just shows, you know. So I remember I was there also. He asked the people who were Hufal that do your parents pray Qiyam. And almost all of the Hufal, they said, yes, our parents pray Qiyam. You know, if you want something in life, you got to work for it. You have to work for it. And part of working for it is making dua to Allah, asking Allah in the night. And these special nights, honestly, whatever few nights we have left, please, please make dua. Write it down. Write down what you want to ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for. You know, last year, this is just something I wanted to share with you because it's a very, inshallah, it really motivated me. Last year, I had made my dua list, okay, for the month of Ramadan. And amongst the things that I was praying for, and I remembered this last night, was a new building for Al-Huda. And I I was shocked. I was like, you know, yeah, I made dua, but who am I? You know? Yeah, you make dua, new building for Al-Huda. Yeah, you know, it's it's a massive project. Alright? It's it's not cheap. It's expensive. It's a lot of hard work. But I did what I could. I just made dua. And it's amazing how this month of Ramadan we're all working to inshallah move into that building very soon. Expand into that building very soon. We already have the keys, alhamdulillah. Making dua is part of seeking out what you want. You have to, have to ask Allah for it. You want to read more Qur'an? Ask Him. You want a good Qur'an teacher to help you recite Qur'an better? Ask Him. You want good company for your children? Ask Him. You want to do something useful, productive? Ask Him. Ask Him. This is part of becoming successful. Success cannot happen without Allah's aid. And part of getting Allah's aid is what? That you have to ask Him for His aid. And that is what the Sahaba did. They prayed to Allah. At the beginning of when Islam first came, everything was completely different. Like the way they slept, 
And after Islam came, after 23 years, every single thing that was conducted by the Muslims, it was all controlled by what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had to say. So like, if you get onto a camel, if you have to go for a ride, then there's a dua for it. If you need to go to the washroom, you have to go and with your left foot. Like, everything was controlled by... Life-changing. Yeah, it's life-changing. And it just shows like the amount of sacrifice that the Sahaba had to do for like Islam, especially because... For them, it was life-changing. Yes, it was such a big transformation. You know, for us, we've been hearing these du'as from childhood. You know, so for us, it's like, yeah, this is one of the things I have to do. You know, I'm supposed to do it. But for the companions, it was leaving their old ways, right? And then developing new ones. Assalamu alaikum. I want to share something. Like, the same thing happened to me last year. I wrote a list, I think 10 things I wrote. And not only I pray at night, but every single time i on the road and everything. Some of them, it was like logic. It was not even logic, but I say, you know what, ask. And subhanAllah, I don't know how many things that happened for me, but one thing happened was the most important thing. And I didn't even care. The rest, I didn't even think about it because I asked him means to go Imrah. I never said I want to go Imrah. I never said I want to have money. I don't want to say I want this and this. I asked means to go Imrah. And that's all I concentrate that year. And subhanAllah, it happened and I went and I come back. So whatever you put in your mind, it may come late or early, but it will come for sure. sure. Inshallah. alaikum. A lot of the time when we want to work on ourselves, we say we have to seclude ourselves and just, you know, work on ourselves. SubhanAllah, something that always crosses my mind that I should spend less time helping people and just work on myself. But then Allah says that the Sahaba, they spent the nights working on themselves and the daytimes helping people. That's true. Because ruhama'u baynahum, if you want to be compassionate and kind towards somebody, you got to be with them. So... In the daytime, they helped others, and in the night, they worked on themselves. Assalamu alaikum. We were just talking about how, you know, normally we give these excuses that I need my eight hours of sleep, right? If you have an exam the next day, if I don't sleep, how will I, you know, focus and whatnot? And I think that's the beauty in Ramadan, right? That, you know, you go through these hardships and you're forced, because you can't, you can't sleep eight hours, it's hard if you're praying. And when you go through it after you're done, like a lot of us had classes, a lot of had exams, when you're done the exam, you're like, subhanAllah, I did it, right? It's possible. And so when sometimes, you know, when Allah thrusts us into those positions of hardship, then you really come out saying that, oh, subhanAllah, it is possible. And if in Ramadan when we're fasting for so many hours and we're doing qiyam and we're reciting Qur'an and we're doing exams, going to work, if we can do that in Ramadan, then of course we can do it during the rest of the year. Yes. alaikum. Talking about dua, right? For me, like, alhamdulillah, all my duas have been accepted. All my du'as, like especially for du'as for food. Food is something so important to me. And subhanAllah, I only think about, think about what I want to eat and it's in front of me. For instance, yesterday, like I'm a teacher, right? So I got a lot of presents. Every present had a chocolate. I haven't been able to eat those because it's Ramadan. Every day my kids are eating those and I'm looking at them thinking, when am I going to eat them? So yesterday in Taravi, I'm sitting and I'm thinking about the chocolate. I want to go home and eat. And there's donation, you know, fundraising going on. I'm like, oh my God, am I going to get a chance to go home and eat? Or do I have to go to Al-Farooq from here? And I'm reading Quran, I'm thinking about it. And subhanAllah, in front of me, there is a box of chocolate. You know, quality sweets, I love those as well. Okay. And my eyes lit up like 
Subhanallah, like I don't even have to make dua. I just think about it and it's in front of me. So the, the lady was so shocked as well, like why am I so happy about this chocolate? But I was grateful. And the, the biggest reason is because I always tell Allah SWT that, you know, I don't ask for it, but I get it. Alhamdulillah, so thank Allah so you can get more. Allah is very generous. We don't ask Him enough. We complain and we are upset and we are sad. We don't go to the source from where relief comes. The Sahaba went to that source. And that is why they were successful. You know, when people come to know that a very important personality is coming, people want to meet him, people crowd around there, they wait for hours, they go and see him. And here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, our creator, he says in Hadith Qusi that he comes to the lowest sky every night. And he says, who will seek forgiveness? And who will ask what they want for? I mean, it's every night, but how many of us are turning to him at that time? Who is sick so that I will cure him? Who is it that wants provision so that I will give him? Who wants forgiveness so that I may forgive him? Every night. Subhanakallahu bihamdik, ashadu wa la ilaha illa anta, astaghfiruka wa atubu ilayk. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.